Welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 122. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and perhaps a little nudge of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. This time, if you're looking for ideas to help you cut through and win, in spite of the tough odds when you apply for corporate partnerships or other sources of funding, I'm excited to share another story that I found really inspiring recently. I'm pleased to share an interview I carried out with a smart, innovative fundraiser named Beatrice Sayer from a really important UK charity called Magic Breakfast. I first met Bea around 10 months ago when she joined our Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme. Towards the end of the programme in the autumn of 2022, Magic Breakfast was chosen as one of three charities to benefit from the Times and Sunday Times Christmas Appeal 2022. The appeal went on to raise around £1.15 million to help pay for Magic Breakfast's fantastic work providing nutritious breakfasts for children who might otherwise start their school day hungry. In our chat, Bea explains the creative approach that she used to stand out from the crowd, as well as various lessons she learned during this exciting project. Hello Bea, how are you? Good, good, thank you Rob. All good. How are you doing? Really well, thank you. And all the more excited to be talking to you. You and I have got to know each other a little bit over the last year because you came on our Corporate Mastery programme. And this particular project, I mean, you've done a bunch of really interesting things recently, some really good fundraising, but this particular project so caught my imagination and I'm really excited at the chance to potentially share it with a wider audience. I think it's really going to help some people. So thank you for making time for it. Before we get into that, um, just so we get the details right. So you work for a charity called Magic Breakfast. Yes. Two questions. What's your role there? And top line, what does Magic Breakfast do? I work for Magic Breakfast. I am the, the partnership development executive at Magic Breakfast. So kind of new business, bringing on new partners, encouraging corporates to come and support our wonderful charity. Magic Breakfast, and we exist because there are children in the UK who are arriving at school too hungry to learn. So currently about 4 million children in the UK at risk of hunger, which equates to about a third um, of the UK's child population. And obviously, aside from the physical, sorry, painful, um, you know, impacts of hunger, uh, we know that a hungry child can't concentrate. And that puts them at risk of missing out on their education. So at Magic Breakfast, our mission is to remove hunger as a barrier to learning. uh, And we do this through providing filling nutritious breakfasts to up to 200,000 hungry children each morning across the UK. Okay, so such a important problem to be solving and I guess that gets us really into the the reason I wanted to talk to you is uh, your organization's been doing some great stuff for years and one of the things you did to get funds to pay for those important breakfasts like I say uh, I thought it was brilliant top line could you tell us about this success and you know, a couple of the details of, you know, of the difference it's made. Yeah, sure. So back in August, actually, I saw the kind of the opportunity to apply to the uh, the Times and, and Sunday Times Christmas appeal. For context, actually, I was on holiday suffering from quite bad jet lag, scrolling through the Times online. Uh, my parents are both subscribers, so I kind of utilised the free subscription and noticed noticed it pop up. I, I forwarded it to my kind of work email. And then when I returned from, from my holiday, um, kind of shared it around and, and and we applied to the the Times and Sunday Times brilliantly were you know was successful with our application um, and so from November through to January just gone we were one of the three charities alongside Calm and Afghan Aid 
that was supported by the Times Christmas Appeal. It was kind of a huge project for us and has been deeply rewarding in terms of kind of raising awareness. We have a had a stat from the Times that showed that during December, the Times Online had monthly average users of over 37 million. So in terms of kind of getting Magic Breakfast out into you know, public attention and, and in front of people's eyes, you know, it's been fantastic. But also from a fundraising perspective, it, it was been kind of, you know, equally impressive. So we raised over £1.15 million pounds, um, as a result of the appeal, had 6,000 new donations. So, um, you know, we're really proud in terms of, of what it's achieved and, and the impact that it's had for us as a charity. So huge congratulations to everyone involved. Just one extra thing is, um, I think you were saying when one does get this kind of a partnership, there there are other positive knock-on effects in helping other elements of fundraising as well? Yeah, exactly. So I think it kind of brings weight to the work that we do. Obviously, the the Times is a is a newspaper that's that's read across the UK it's a kind of a, a trusted source of information and and I think it kind of just adds trust and, and weight to the to the work that we as a charity do so we've kind of seen um donors get back in touch with us or have seen the times appeal and reach out and um, you know wanting to support so it's been brilliant from that perspective too so that's brilliant like I say some of how these things work out is about technique some usually there's an element of luck but also there's just always a lot of hard work so whatever techniques we might talk about today it's about the effort that goes in especially within a relatively smaller organization to do things really well it takes effort and really persistence and hard work so well done to everybody involved i would like for our listeners to hear about some things about your approach because it it is really interesting food for thought i think could you um tell us then a little bit about when you looked at the application form and what it was asking you to do and then what approach you decided to take because i does seem to me that that did make a difference yeah for sure um so the, the application, I think, was was exciting because it, it felt so blank canvas, which is, I think, an, an opportunity. And it, sometimes it makes it more scary. You know, sometimes it's nice to kind of have that structure in an application process. But it was, in this instance, very much a blank canvas. The brief was two pages of A4 and applicants had to provide kind of a list of between 10 and 12 ideas for stories, each sort of focusing on a different element of the charity's work. So that was really interesting. And I think from my perspective and, and from kind of the team's perspective, definitely sparked ideas as to how we could approach it that would be kind of different and exciting and, you know, more kind of unique than perhaps what we've done in the past with with other applications. I think there was a recognition that it was going to be a hugely competitive process. You know, last year, the Times Appeal raised two point. 2 million for the three charities involved. So I think it's one that, you know, most charities should be applying to and do apply to. And and so if we were going to kind of win it, we did need to stand out from the crowd. And I mean, in all honesty, the, the idea came from what I'd learned on the, on the course that I did, which was all around wow moments. So, you know, the idea of how can we kind of surprise them? How can we delight them or kind of create that sort of deeper connection? with the company and show them that we understand their their world and and that's where the idea came from and just doing something a bit different and and kind of you know exciting them so so what we decided to do was um present the application in in the format of a times newspaper and kind of more than that it, you know it wasn't just any old newspaper we wanted it to look like a times newspaper and so we spent you know 
time, if you pardon the pun, uh, really focusing on, on what a Times newspaper looked like. So, um, you know, from the font that they used, we couldn't get the exact font, but we tried to get as close as possible to the font that they were using down to kind of their subheaders. So um, all the kind of articles in Times newspapers have a subheader, whether that's Times 2, Business, Common, News. Um, so when we were kind of branding our stories in the application, each of the kind of stories had a, um, a subheader and all our stories were presented as articles. So going back to kind of the the ask in the uh, of the sort of applicant process, we had to present 10 to 12 story ideas. We presented them as, as newspaper articles within a, a Times newspaper. Um, and also kind of things like displaying quotes. So we kind of picked up the Times displayed quotes in specific ways and we kind of replicated that in the application too. So if you were to kind of of look at the application it looks exactly like a newspaper and hopefully as close to a times newspaper as we could have got it which was fun to be honest kind of putting that together we use the graphic design platform canva but also hopefully unique and exciting for the person reading it and, and hopefully meant that we stood out from the crowd a bit more brilliantly done and when you showed me an image of what it looked like i really got a strong sense that if someone received this they wouldn't say, oh, that's a bit shoddy. And therefore, why, why have they done this gimmick? Because you did your best not only to have the idea and take the risk, but then crucially, you executed it as well as you could with your resources. I think that's part of what is needed when we have one of these good creative ideas, more bespoke ideas, or what I would call how to create a wow moment. They can fall flat on their face if we don't execute them well. But if you have a good idea, you've got a strong rationale for why to do it, because we understand and appreciate their model of the world. We're not just showing our model of the world and what we want as a charity. When you get the good idea and you actually do the detail really well, I think most people don't think, why are charities wasting their time with these gimmicks? I think, and I've got other examples from our programmes, of when it really pays you back for the risk an extra hard work you've taken because people, you know, the other 19 applications they've read that morning, broadly, they had different stories in them, but most of them broadly looked the same. And this one, the 20th to fall on their desk, it just will not only look different, but it'll be done well and look different. And most people reading that, I have found, tend to really appreciate it when a charity goes the extra mile in that way. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. And, and I think, as you said, it, it was kind of the seeing is, is believing idea. So in seeing kind of what a magic breakfast times partnership might look like, I think we hoped that it would enable them to believe that it would work. So like they could almost see what the appeal would look like. It, it kind of it was there in front of them. It was almost they just had to tick a box to say, yes, let's go with it kind of thing. And I think that was our kind of rationale as well behind it, that if they could we we i think we just wanted to help them take a step closer to kind of that reality so that was kind of a, another another thought behind doing it in that way yes good point sometimes on my program when i'm teaching the module about pitching i call this concept future pacing and the idea is if we work hard to mock up something that in due course if the partnership happened you know, would would happen either in terms of the treatment or indeed the effect for their readers it doesn't mean automatically they're going to choose you, but if you do it well, once they've read that or heard it or picked up that object, they can't unknow the experience of having read that article or seen what magic breakfast stories might look like to their readers. They can't go back in time and not have that experience. 
So at some level, you've helped them experience a new reality, i.e. the reality in which they were smart enough to have chosen your cause as the cause that their readers care about. So that's a tactic, future pacing, which lots of corporate fundraisers, to be fair, many do already, but equally, it's a tactic that many people could add to whatever plans they've got for any new pitch that they are designing. Just on a point of detail, sometimes we might listen to this and think, well, it'd be nice to have the resource to do that, B. And it's true that some charities have some budget for design and so on. But am I right to think you used Canva and you did this stuff yourself? Yeah, exactly. So I, I put it together myself. I, I, I love Canva. I think it's a resource that people should try and try and use. Like I'm I'm not a graphic design expert in any sense, um, but it's so easy. They have templates that you can use as well. And, and so I think it just, you know, it makes the process much simpler. But yeah, I guess what I'm saying is don't be afraid. Even if you don't have the expertise, it doesn't mean that you can't necessarily do it because, you know, there are lots of resources out there that can support. Canva in particular, I'm pretty sure does um, charity accounts. So, you know, even if you don't have the budget, it's a kind of a, a platform that charities can look to do. But yeah, I mean, at the time, it was kind of something that I sort of um, led on and, and put the application together on on Canva. And it's fair to say I, I probably spent more time on that than, you know, perhaps... I should have. I, I I kind of really went into the detail and, and spent hours, I think, kind of trying to make it look good and not gimmicky, as you said. Um, but, you know, I, I hope it kind of paid off and, and was worth it. And, um, and it was fun. So, yeah. Yeah. So it is really interesting that point you said there, that it took longer. And To be honest, I've found lots of charities and lots of fundraisers have some really brilliant creative ideas for what could we do to help connect this major donor to the cause or how could we really create a wonderful experience in this, that and the other way. Lots of ideas are there and a major reason why they don't get implemented is just we kind of run out of time and then we default to the orthodox, the less risky seeming and the one that can be achieved by the end of the day. But I have found that if and when, and I know quite a lot of these examples, because it is not the only, but it's one of the many uh, ideas we encourage people to try out in their own fundraising. When they do, often it just does take longer, sometimes quite a lot longer. And yet, if you're trying to cut through compared to perhaps 100 different organisations, I would argue, what's the greater waste of time? (laughs) Is it more time consuming to do the orthodox way and really be unlikely to defy the odds or to take, you know, at least twice as long as most people would and really be up there in the, with a chance of winning the prize. To me, in many occasions, it's riskier not to go the extra mile. You know, maybe we can't do this kind of stuff for every kind, every single phone call or application or, or fundraising project we do. Sometimes the value of that particular project just isn't worth it. But when the stakes are really high, my experience is the extra time and effort for doing something really well and following through on a good idea. It does tend to pay you back, not least because hardly anyone else out there is doing it. Yeah, I'd completely agree with it. And, and actually, it kind of links into um, one of the, the other kind of things that we try to include in the application, which kind of, again, went back to something that you said, which was around um, stories and, and the idea that kind of the fundraiser who has more stories basically has more gold I think that's kind of what you said in the in the course and it and it stuck with me because 
you know, it's it's something that I, I, I try to do in terms of gathering stories. I, I try and get out on breakfast club visits to kind of gather those, in, you know, real stories that you can kind of speak to. But we at Magic Breakfast are very good, I think, at, at, at gathering stories. Every year we survey our schools and we get, um, you know, stories from teachers, from um, pupils, from parents and kind of have a huge collection of of different stories. But for the Times application in, in particular, I realised that I wanted to include stories and, and real stories. And, and I think sometimes it's easy to kind of include the, um, you know, the top line story that sort of, does a good job of explaining, but but maybe isn't actually that real or, or you know, doesn't speak to kind of the real experiences that people are having at this time. And so I spent quite a lot of time looking through our um, collection, let's say, and kind of reading quotes and stories and, and building them up. Um, and, and for me, it was about finding relevant and interesting stories that kind of told the work of Magic Breakfast in a way that was different and kind of included new angles that perhaps, you know, the average person who looks at Magic Breakfast wouldn't necessarily consider. I wanted the times to feel that the work that we're doing, you know, impacted people in, in more than just the kind of obvious way. And I could only do that through through stories in my eyes. And so that's what we kind of went away and did was we we kind of took lots and lots of stories and um, read lots and lots and then kind of put the ones that we thought were the most relevant and interesting on the page and it was great because we had stories in there and the one that really sticks out in my mind was we told a story of a of a mother who has significant mental health issues and as a result was struggling to kind of drop her child off school and um, because of the kind of busy nature of the school site it, you know it was a it was a problem for her but it also meant that her child was missing out on um, on learning time and, and their education was suffering as a result. She was then invited to take her child to breakfast club, which was earlier in the day. And so it meant that, you know, she felt much happier to kind of do it because it was before the morning morning rush began. And so it reduced the pressure on her from a kind of mental health perspective, but it also meant that her child was then coming in on time. The education wasn't suffering. They were also getting that really healthy, nutritious breakfast too. And that was a great story. And, and we included it in the Times Appeal. And it brought in a different angle and it told a story of one, a problem that wasn't that obvious, but also to the way that that Magic Breakfast makes an impact and kind of, you know, it's more than just feeding hungry children. It is about providing education and supporting families who might be struggling in, in different ways. So and, and that was only possible, I think, because we spent that time looking at stories um, and kind of gathering that resource and, you know, and, and recognising that we needed to be more than just kind of two dimensional in, in our approach. Hi, it's Rob, and I wanted to let you know about our two flagship training programs designed to help you grow high-value fundraising results. That's the Corporate Partnerships Mastery Program and the Major Gifts Mastery Program. These programs help you make progress through a combination of masterclasses and individual coaching support. To give you a sense of some of the ways they help you make progress, here's a short clip with a fundraiser named Danny Knight, who also took part in our most recent Corporate Mastery Program. I would absolutely wholeheartedly recommend it. In fact, I actually already have recommended it within our organisation. I think that the attitude towards corporate fundraising that is celebrated in the course and that is taught through the course is genuinely the right way to go about it. And it's not one that will necessarily occur naturally to fundraisers who have sort of grown up with a philanthropic ideal of what fundraising is and maybe what it should be. And certainly for me, being able to learn about that, share that experience with other corporate fundraising specialists and to then communicate it 
internally with our senior leadership team, have that vision and really push forward has been incredibly valuable for me, for my personal development, but actually it's absolutely paid dividends for the business as a whole. So as a worthwhile tool, worthwhile piece of training, it absolutely cannot be undervalued. I've loved it. To find out more about either programme, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Right now, let's get back to my chat with Beatrice about that idea of bringing some of the less obvious concepts to life. That does highlight one of the concepts we talk about in the programme, and I, I mentioned it in other places, I mentioned it in my book and so on, and we've mentioned it on this podcast before, is the disproportionate value, not only of working harder than most charities manage to, to find specific real examples in appropriate ways with permission and so on. Working harder to, to get that content is like finding treasure or potential gold. But then another thing is being on the lookout for the not obvious. So that I think is a useful idea many of us could quite deliberately give a little more attention to. There's one other thing that occurs to me, B, which was this concept that we teach on the programme of if you really want to have a chance of positively influencing someone in the sense of them you know, hearing what you say or reading what you say and you know, really willingly, enthusiastically saying yes, if that's what we're trying to do when we write one of these applications or have one of these meetings with a company, I suggest you're most likely to succeed if you first try to understand and appreciate their model of the world, which might sound obvious, but the truth is the pressure in many charities is to convey our model of the world. And I think it's fair to say you conveyed this important problem for many families and the fact that your solution works, you convey that brilliantly. But the reason it worked so well, I think, in the application is step one wasn't that. Step one was trying to understand the point of view of the Times and Sunday Times, and in particular, their readers. And I, I know you quite deliberately tried to do it that way around, and that informed some of your choices about certain stories to use, you know, that I think you felt were more likely to appeal to some of this newspaper's readers than maybe some other newspaper's readers would have done. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's definitely that for us, it was about kind of gathering insights and, and spending time you know, researching the Times and, and as you said, what was interesting to the Times readership and also to them as a as a kind of a newspaper organization. And actually I, I kind of looked back at the the application and kind of we opened the application with the statement, according to more than 1800 readers of the Times, the cost of living crisis is the biggest challenge facing the UK today. And that was like a deliberate attempt for us to show them that we we recognised that Times readers cared about this. And actually it was, you know, it was on their radar and and you know, we spent we spent quite a lot of time looking at that kind of thing and finding out what the Times readership were interested in, what were kind of the articles that they were um, they were publishing, and, and kind of looking at the articles that they had included on the cost of living crisis and on poverty and um, you know the the impact of the energy crisis and and all of that kind of stuff and how it was being presented and, and how it was being like taken basically by by the readership. And I think another thing that we we really focused on, as you said, was kind of the stories that we included on the impact. So the application split into into two sections. So the first kind of really focused on the problem, so of child morning hunger. So we included stories about you know the causes of child morning hunger, um, 
the you know the, the consequences of that problem in terms of you know children not being able to access their education and then the second kind of half of the application was much more about kind of the impact of magic breakfast and and why it's important you know why is it important that children are fed and able to access their education but we wanted it to be more relevant to the times readership and so kind of from research into the times we recognized that there were certain stories that would be of better greater interest than perhaps you know if we were writing this to another newspaper so we included um, stories on, you know, how Magic Breakfast helps parents get back into work, how Magic Breakfast is helping to boost the economy, how it's, you know, creating that workforce of the future. And that was because we felt that that would be more interesting to them. And it was something that, um, you know, the Times readership would, you know, emphasise better with and would make them more likely to want to support, you know, Magic Breakfast. So that was, I think, as you said, a deliberate attempt to play to, you know, what we felt the Times would want to hear, basically. And for us, it was just about gathering those insights and making the application bespoke, really. You know, it wasn't any old newspaper application. This was for the Times specifically. Just one other thing, B. I think earlier you mentioned something slightly unusual, which is that you said just doing it this way, it did take more time and effort and maybe risk taking. But you also said it, it was more enjoyable. I think you said it was fun. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, like, I mean, I, I really enjoyed kind of putting putting the application together. And actually, the moment at which we kind of submitted the application, um, I shared it with my family, which is something that I've, I've never done before with any application in the past. But I felt really proud of kind of what we'd put together and what we'd achieved. I thought it looked really cool. Um, and I thought we, what we said in it, you know, anyone could understand and could um could kind of relate to why we'd done it and kind of why we'd presented it in the way that we did. So that kind of, you know, regardless of the outcome, I think if you can take pride in the work that you're doing, then that's kind of almost a benefit of spending a little bit of extra time on, on an application. Yeah, I totally agree. And what I like about that is, although it's not possible to, quote, go the extra mile and, and create a wow in every bit of work we have to do as a fundraiser, some of it just needs to be done efficiently rather than in this more bespoke way. What I have found is if and when we really are able to do just a few things, you know, you know, just one project now and again, or a few things per week, when we really take our time and, and do things as well as we possibly could have done to create a certain effect or experience, good experience for our supporters. I think our brain knows that, you know, Seth Godin and others sometimes talk about the, um, the joy and the value of something which in and of itself is something to be proud of is quote art. And that, you know, all of us can be artists in whatever profession when we do that thing and do something especially well. So I think that's worth highlighting because the more we lean into that and can can fit a bit of it into our jobs, I think it does have not only, hooray, the financial reward for us as fundraisers, but also this bigger effect on our enjoyment and our pride in our work, which again, indeed, can make us more confident or, or creative in other projects we do. Just before we finish, B, if someone's considering some application to a trust, a company, a foundation, a major donor, and they've got an idea to do it in a more creative way that's quite deliberately designed to create a different or better feeling or a wow moment. I guess one of the bits of my advice is there's times when it's not possible. 
If you've just got to jump through these hoops to this application process, it won't work every time. But if and when someone senses it might be possible, what would your advice be? Yeah, my advice would be go for it. Like, I think, you know, creativity pays off. And and as long as you said it's not, it doesn't feel gimmicky and it feels like you've understood the the potential partner's world, then um then I don't think there's a reason why why you should do it. And and actually something that I, I took away from uh the the coaching that we did as part of the program with my coach Gemma was that you, you know you can you can include creativity in even the most formal applications. She she spoke about using videos specifically and it was something that I kind of struggled with the idea that you could use videos in a very, very formal application. But kind of she she very much encouraged me that you can and you, you know you can be creative even when it doesn't feel particularly right. But I think it's about, you know, imagining the person who's receiving that application or, you know, whatever you're doing in terms of that wow moment and and how doing something like that would make them feel and, and how they feel about the charity. And if you can kind of imagine that and a smile that it would put on their face and then go for it kind of thing. Yeah, that's brilliant. So simple detail, uh, even if it's a much more formal application process, the act of putting a link within that word count and within that form you've obediently filled in to a much stronger, maybe more story-like film, which is added value in addition to what you've written in the form? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's just about just about being creative and, and not letting things limit you. If, you know, even if it doesn't feel like it's quite right, you know, sometimes even just, just adding small nuggets that kind of might wow them, um, you know, it's just, it's just worth taking that risk. And doing things just a little bit differently but i guess the point is that it doesn't necessarily have to be creating up a huge times type newspaper it can be just small little things that that kind of go that extra mile and, and show them that you're, you're trying to do things a bit differently yeah that's a, a great last piece of advice thank you and thank you for coming along to share this example like i say huge congratulations to everyone involved at magic breakfast because it's you know it's always a team effort when uh, one of these things works out. So I, I think it's brilliant. Uh, well done, everybody. Uh, good luck with your further fundraising and indeed the really important work that Magic Breakfast does. And I look forward to catching up with you very soon. Bye bye. Thanks, Rob. Bye. I hope you found Bee's story and our discussion helpful. You can find a full transcript of the episode in the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the Fundraising Bright Spots show, please do that now so that you don't miss out on any of the episodes we've got coming up. And this will immediately get you access to lots more episodes, including, for example, episode 120, in which David Burgess shares another example of how to cut through and radically improve the odds when writing funding applications. If you're a corporate or major donor fundraiser and you're determined to lift your results this year, we are now accepting bookings for our next Corporate Mastery Programme that's the one that B took part in, and the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, which both start again in May 2023. To find out more, check out the information on our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Just before we finish, I'd like to ask a quick favour, which is if you found today's episode helpful, then I'd really appreciate it if you'd spread the word and share it on so that we can help as many people as possible with these ideas. Thank you very much for your help. Do let us know what you think about the episode. You can get in touch or tag B or I on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I am at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thanks for listening. Good luck with your applications and proposals. 
and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot stories and ideas with you very soon.